McNulty stunning for Emilio to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts from Bosby. Bosby are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi, Pompey fans, and welcome to Pompey Forecast, episode 206. Well, the Blues win 2-0 under the likes of Fratton Park on Sky to go six points clear, top of the league. During the broadcast today is Andy Mitchmore. How are you, Andy? Hello. I don't really feel like the answer can be anything other than excellent this week. I think we signed off last week's podcast with me saying that if we won against Bolton, I was going to have to turn up this week and be like, lads, it's on. So, lads, it's it's on. How exciting. Yeah, I think that's um, possibly the biggest League One game we've had, for me, in terms of the feel of the club and the feel of the League One systems, probably since our playoff defeat to Oxford. I can't think of a bigger League One fixture we've had since then. So, to come out on top, it's beautiful. Loving life. Yeah, not too bad, thank you. How are you doing, Hugh? I'm doing great. I, I was doing that thing, I, I prepped for going to the game, when I got a fresh trim. Got myself in the zone, get myself emotionally prepared. Because I'll be honest, it's only one game, isn't it? But I feel like in a mentality way, it, it was a massive game. But I'm doing really well, thanks, mate. Really well. I've got my Christmas party tomorrow. So I don't have any really cool formal outwear. So I'm just going to put on a pair of blue suede loafers I've got lying around and a shirt and just try and pull off something that like vaguely sort of goes with cool. Is Jenny not extremely worried that you're going to just have so many options on the evening out to be unfaithful with that sort of outfit? Yeah, I think it's the pink socks. That's the kind of thing that's really going to do it for people. Literally biting my lip at the thought of this. How exciting. Gutted I'm not going to be there to see it. I demand a selfie. I will take some photos for you. But talking about a man with undeniable style, how are you, Freddie Webb? Oh, I am not bad, Hugh. Yeah, I don't think I've been this happy in a while. My God, what a game. What about the football, Freddie? (laughs) Exactly, literally. My God, what a game. Oh, probably. Like Andy said, I can't think of a bigger result than that for a long time. The build-up was huge, and it was just superb that Portsmouth didn't buckle and they managed to deliver. Every player had a great game to an extent. Atmosphere rocking the entire game. Everybody was behind them. That game will live on in the memory, I think. I don't think I'll forget that very quickly. I just think it's important to add in here how good, Hugh, your segues have been in the last six to eight weeks. I've noticed this every single week. You've managed to make an excellent segue to, speaking of something or other, here's Freddie Webb. And it's been pretty on point every single time. I'm impressed. Thanks, Andy. I've only been doing this for over 200 episodes. So if it was really poor, it's probably time to hang up the microphone, isn't it? Well, yeah, but the first 175 were awful. (laughs) Where's this new lease of life come from? Yeah, thank you to everyone who stuck with us. So we got to episode 175 in order for me to add a transition from one point to the other. 
Mate, I actually listened back. I was on our Spotify the other day. I think a new episode had come out, so it was at the top of my feed. And I don't listen back to episodes when we record them. But out of curiosity, I went back to our pre-Checker Trade trifle. Trifle? The Checker Trade trifle uh, <laughs> final. We are so good at this. Uh, the Checker Trade trophy final at Wembley and our preview game or preview pod for that. It sounds like a different podcast. I'm not saying that the content is any better now, but our microphone quality was a lot worse and your editing was a lot less, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Crisp, nuanced, one of them. Um, I do recommend going back and having a listen because it's it's a very different vibe. And obviously we only knew, well, we'd known each other a little bit by that point, but not we hadn't had to endure each other for quite as long as we have done at this point. It's a very interesting dynamic to go back and listen to. Yeah, completely. I think also it's just got to the point now where when you've done it for so long, you pick up on the little bits. I can even tell, you know, little drips in the audio and where it needs to go up and down. And it's second nature now, boys. You know, we've been doing this for a while. It's genuinely got to the point with the editing that sometimes you can tell from the sound waves who's talking, which is really... I've noticed that and it's slightly terrifying. You you know when like people in in relationships by their partner, like the sound wave from their, their song or something... And it's like, I don't know, whatever that song is from Dirty Dancing, but a sound clip from it, but just the, the image of the sound wave. I genuinely think that, you know, we should do some sort of Christmas secret Santa thing where we buy, each buy the other one, one sound wave from the pod. What didn't help last week was, in terms of audio levels, kind of gave it away. I was essentially eating my microphone last week, which I have regret for. Joth was about 30% of the volume he needed to be. Yeah, I'm calling you out on it, Joth, and he did to turn your volume up. And Freddie, you were fluctuating between the two with your average about right, but a terrible range where sometimes you ate the microphone and other times you were like a little church mouse. I think, so, yeah, I don't know. I think it's because I don't raise my voice. I raise it sometimes, but not very often. And it's to the right, my microphone's to the right of me slightly because I've got a small desk. But I'm enjoying how we've just sort of sung about the virtues of how the pod has improved and then we've segued into talking about sound wave patterns yeah it's not where we've had possibly the biggest win for like four years in in league one and we're just like well scratch the bolton game let's talk about how to edit on soundcloud yeah exactly i i think just generally speaking though what's more important freddie let's be honest is i've lost my razor so my beard is coming for you mate it doesn't worry about the scammers in this sense i'm coming for you on the beard mate it's gonna <laughs> it'll get there the... eventually i'm sorry you just got to leave it for ages and then yeah, it'll, the... it'll fully form out surely yeah it'll be the po forecast second best beard but let's get into the actual game because people have actually tuned in to hear about the bolton game because let's be honest there's a lot to talk about there's a lot of excitement happening and we'll try and keep our feet vaguely on the ground in this podcast as well at the same time whilst you know trying to mask the ultimate enthusiasm and excitement that's going on in the show so first of all we're going to review the win against Bolton but on from that we put a question out to you guys and we said but on from that we put a question out to you guys and we said does Yengi offer more than Bishop after his outstanding performance against Bolton? And then we spoke to Ollie from the Salop cast to bring you everything you need to know about the much-anticipated game on Saturday against Shrewsbury. Right, boys. Bolton. Let's set the scene a little bit. The atmosphere was great. Everyone was tense, weren't they? It was an air of excitement, would you say, around the ground, Freddie, when we stood there at the back of the front and end. People were leaning over. Some people were sort of thinking, you know, singing and 
losing their breath a little bit. It was a big moment in games, wasn't it? And it's the kind of thing you want to as a fan to go along and just soak it in, really. Yeah, there was a lot of anticipation ahead of the game. And during the match, the fans were on edge a lot of the time. And it's because of how much that game meant. Because if you if Pompey lost that game, for example, you'd think, okay, I know we're still probably three points up around first, but it's not as it's not as solid. It's not as it's not set in stone that this side can still get promoted. Whereas this massive win in the pressure cooker moment, it potentially sets it up. Forty six points before the Christmas period. Very rarely have sides dropped off altogether. <laughs> Obviously, we managed like, it in yes, 2018 yeah. 19, Freddie. Yes, we yes, had more points that season. <laughs> I'll, ne- I'll never forget the end of that horrible season dealing cards in a casino in Newcastle full of happy Mackhams saying how shit my side is while I'm working, while I've got the game in the background and Chris, Mc- Chris fucking Maguire scoring. God, I, I don't uh, want um, those, I don't want those memories ever again. But no, thankfully, in this game, they didn't. Would you not absolutely love Andy, sorry, to have seen Freddie Webb dealing cards in a casino just being abused by his Sunderland fans and just getting raging? Just really give them paper cut to the through poker cards to, uh, through cards towards them for their poker and yeah. I'd, I'd have paid a lot of money for that, actually. Yeah, exactly. But back to the game quickly. Let's get started on what happened because it was a competitive right from the start, wasn't it? Both teams getting stuck in quite a lot. And at the start, I thought even though it was fairly even, Bolton had some of the better chances there and Paris Magoma looked really dangerous, didn't he? Really dangerous and he just skipped past people and one of the chances there when he, he sort of skips inside, beats a few players, he puts it on goal. There's some shouts for handball there. Did you think it was handball, Andy? I mean, no. Let's go with no. Honestly, I haven't had a good enough view of it to really come up with a decision either way. I think... There's a, sh- I think it does hit his hand. I don't even know what the rule is anymore, Hugh. I don't know what the rule it, it, is. Okay? It's is that what you want to hear? It, it, it's handball if the hand is in an unnatural position. Well, it's not in a natural. It's not in an unnatural position. Therefore, it is not handball. Uh, I think it does hit his hand. His hand is by his side, and for what it's worth, I think if it doesn't hit his hand, it's not going in the bottom corner. Not that this really makes any difference to the handball rule, but I don't think it's prevented a goal either way. Um, so I don't know what the handball rule is anymore because I'm utterly confused by it. If it's a Pompey hand, it's never a penalty. If it's the opposition's hand, the referee's mental for not giving it. That's the handball rule to me. So um, this one I don't actually think was a handball because if it is a natural position thing, then I don't see where he's meant to put his hand because you, know, you can't run along with your hands behind your back in a defensive position. That's madness. It's not like he's stationary trying to block the shot with his hands behind his back leaning forward. There's nowhere else his hands can be. No penalty for me. I, I think the only thing to add is the the little cliche. I, I've seen them given. And that's not an exaggeration. I have seen them given in like Europe and even some things in the Premier League, some instances in the Premier League with VAR where I have seen them given before. So no, thankfully Robert Madley um, was... He remembered that he was refereeing a League One game and just decided to let the game flow a little bit. Before we do anything else on the game, while we're talking about the referee, I thought he had a really good game. And not just because Pomp... Do you not think you? Do you both disagree? I thought he had a good game. The the amount of fouls he missed on by Santos on Yengi was yeah, okay, fine. large. <laughs> An exception. But what I mean by had a good game was consistency. I don't feel like he disproportionately... 
uh, gave fouls against one side more than the other, and he was consistent with his fouls. So whilst, yeah, I actually, as you say that I agree, Yangi was just manhandled for most of that game by Santos. He equally didn't give that many up the other end of the pitch for Charles or Bodvarsson being maybe not quite as severely manhandled by Raggett and and Shocknessy. So he was consistent. And I think we gave that yellow card to Robertson early on. And then there was a tackle from one of the Bolton players not that long afterwards. And I remember saying at the time, like, if he's given Robertson a yellow, that has to be a yellow. And he did, he booked him. So for me, he was fairly consistent. That's what I mean by had a decent game. I would say he was consistent, yeah. He very much leaned on the, and leaned not trying to be a pun here, but he definitely leaned on the idea of giving defenders the benefit of the doubt throughout the game. I think that's fair, and that was fairly consistent. Card happy madly there. He loved the yellow card. What did he give out seven in this game? Anyone who had any money on, on card bets was loving life. Yeah, but he seemed. You'd see the interview with Yangi afterwards, where one of the someone asked Yangi, "Oh, it was a good, uh, good That's advice." My favorite player interview for quite a long while. That to be honest, he's just, he's just not media trained. I love it. But he said yeah, they same, said I was Yangi, say that they said to Yangi <laughs> something along the lines of like, "Oh, good that the referee didn't give advantage, isn't it?" For that, like, it was good from the referee, and Yangi was like, "Honestly, don't really remember." Uh, referee came up to me afterwards and said aren't you lucky I played advantage? And if the refs come up to him and said that, then <laughs> it's a little bit like, oh, aren't I great? But a bit of an odd one from him. Yeah, but to that's be fair, sort of strange behaviour for referees you don't really need, is it? It's a bit yeah. weird. But I mean, it was a good decision. So, I mean, he's, the ref's probably going to be pleased with himself for giving a really good decision. There was that Mike Dean one a few years ago, wasn't there, when was it Arsenal fans thought he supported Spurs or Spurs fans thought he supported Arsenal because it looked like he was celebrating a goal, but he was actually fist bumping himself, like fist, he wasn't fisting himself. He was like <laughs> bumping himself for um. That's a hand gesture and a half for uh, for playing a really really good advantage that resulted in a goal. And I, I think that's kind of what the ref's done, but it's come out a bit of a weird way. But yeah, I thought he was half decent, better than a lot of the referees we have at this level. Oh well, slightly agree to disagree. Um, but I do agree that he's he was consistent. I can agree with that. Moving back on to Bolton with their chances at the start and. We all know about this deal on Charles Miss, and it's not the kind of thing that we expected, let's be honest. And the ball comes over. Bod Varson does well, really, to get a really nice header on guard. I thought Norris does well in that situation, gets a strong hand to it, and it just happens to come out to Dion Charles. I think it's easier to, to score the miss. I back Freddie Webb to convert that one. And it's not often I say that. It's the kind of thing you say as a bit of a joke, you know, oh, I could have scored that one, but... I think just for the laws of physics, and I'm looking at Andy, Dr. Andrew Mitchamore over there, but just the abilities, how much open net he had compared to, you know, to, to being able to put it wide. And I think he's just, he's just being too casual with it, isn't he, Andy? Yeah. Did you guys see the XG for this chance? Uh, I have it in front of me now. Oh, I was going to say, Freddie, I've I've yes. seen the XG, so you can't use this as guess the XG this no, week. No, I wasn't. Right? I wasn't planning on it. Don't worry. No, okay, cool. um, but it was, Fot yeah, what I saw had it. At 0.9 xG, according to Fotmob, Weisgat had it at 0.8, which is more xG than a penalty. Yikes! And you just shit on I, Andy's moment to bring out xG. Yeah, Freddie, that was the first know. time I've ever introduced a section with xG as a metric where I've bothered to. Well, I say bothered to research it. It popped up on my Twitter timeline. That counts to me as as research into xG, and you couldn't even let me have the moment. <laughs> No, absolutely not. And yeah, I, I'm so surprised that he missed it. The Fratnet was shocked, pretty much. And then 
Afterwards, Dion Charles disappeared. Were you shook? Absolutely. And then Dion Charles disappeared. I didn't really see him for the rest of the game. Bod Varson, at least, put himself about a bit of physicality. There was that shot in the second half that nearly squirmed in. But I didn't notice Dion Charles at all until he was subbed. No, it seemed to rattle him. And I think it was also a bit of a changing point in the game. And we talk about one of the Pompey chances coming up here. And the ball's kicked up the pitch. Kamara, what a little flick on that is. He gets his head to it. He flicks it onto Yengi, who does really well, really, to get into the right position. He gets the shot off. Keeper makes a decent save. And any other any other day, that just rolls into the back of the net, doesn't it? It's a great clearance off the line, really. Gets there just before Kamara, who also, I thought, did well to follow that in. You know, he did what you want anyone to do in an attacking player. He follows the ball, tries to get the rebound in case it comes out, and unfortunately, it gets cleared. Andy, do you reckon that was like part of, you can see the Charles miss, you can see us then get a big chance at the other end. Was that part of the momentum swing for you? Yeah, I think so. I think that Charles miss, it was going to go one of two ways with him in that he is such a good player. That was either going to galvanise him into something special for the rest of the game or it was going to go the other way and he was going to become more anonymous and sort of shrink a little bit. And I'm very pleased to to have seen that it was actually the latter which surprised me. I had a low-key fear that he was going to come out in the second half and have a point to prove to shut the frat and end up. And it just didn't it didn't work out that way. Uh, I really enjoyed with just before we before we move on with uh Dion Charles miss. You can see I think it's Rafferty just assumes it's in as the ball sort of goes towards the goal. And he's got both hands on his head. He's almost turned around to walk back to the halfway line. And then you see him sort of catch himself and double take when he realises the ball hasn't gone in. It's a, a fun reaction. But yeah, in terms of it being a change in momentum, I think so. With how the second half went, it's hard to say, isn't it? It's butterfly effect. It's hard to say whether we still win that game. Because of the momentum in the second half, I think we maybe still do 2-1. I still think we get a point out of the game, but I, it's such a different game if they go one up because they set up so differently in the second half if they do that, don't they? And then... Obviously, us nicking that goal just before half-time just changes the complexion of the game completely and changes the Bolton team talk, for sure. I know Messino came out afterwards and said, you know, that goals just before a break don't tend to change his half-time or full-time, well, more half-time talk any, really, because the other 44 minutes were still the same. So the critiques are still going to be valid and the praise is still going to be valid no matter what the score is. But I do think going a goal down really would have changed Everett's half-time team talk. Yeah, I think so as well. Well, I'm going to come on to other points that might have changed the momentum of the game and how it went, etc. to do with tactics in a second. And I'll come to Freddie on that question. But before we get to that, I just want to know, let's talk about the goal because not only did it win me a 60 to 1 bet, Sparks taking the corner on the assist there, putting it into the box. And Shaughnessy really gets a great header. He, he, he finds space. He gets the ball first. The Bolton players don't go to attack the ball. No one does that. He gets up. It's a difficult angle as well. It's not an easy header. It's right on the tight angle. He does exactly what you should do there. He goes across the keeper with power, but also with precision. We've seen him score clutch goals before. And that beautiful Irish man heads it into the back of the net. And it's 1-0. Yeah, it's a brilliant finish, isn't it? Um, Shotnessy mentioned to Sky Sports after the game that he now knows literally where Sparks is going to put the ball. He like does like a little single, a, a little signal, and, and knows exactly whereabouts the the inswing corner comes in, and it's a beautiful header, brilliant movement to start with to be able to get away from the defenders. I know it wasn't tightly marked, but still from that angle, it's incredibly tight. I think it was given as a 
0.25 xg chance going to Y scout, but still very difficult to be able to actually because it's coming with a lot of power. It's easy to put that header over the bar or get the angle wrong. But no, he didn't right in the corner and just before half time that would have been a, a killer for Bolton to be honest. And as we'll talk about in the second half, they didn't recover as well or didn't play as well as uh, the first 45 minutes. Yeah, I think it's Thomason he loses really early in the corner move. Like He makes his run very, very early towards the near post and just catches Thomason or Thomason, or Thomason depending on how Scandinavian he is, on his heels and just has a free run at the ball. And then the other, I don't know who the other Bolton defender is at the near post, isn't expecting it because it's not his player to track. So it's his committing to the run so early, which t- kind of ties in with what you said there, Fred, about knowing where the ball is going to is going to end up. And we've waxed lyrical so many times about Sparks' delivery from dead balls. I mean, there's not much else we can say. We gave the stats last week of his assists and good chances created, etc., and ranking first, second in, and third in the league for that type of thing going forward. But you can see that with that run, he knows where the ball's meant to end up and then Sparks executes perfectly and, yeah, just gets the right amount of glance on the header. Zero chance for the keeper unless that's at him. There's nothing he's doing about it any day of the week. And, uh, yeah, 1-0 up, good timing, bit of a smash and grab. Was that is that too harsh on Pompey to call it a smash and grab in the first half? Maybe that's I, a little bit too harsh. I, I think it is a bit harsh. I think it was relatively even. Mm. I think a draw was probably the fair result at half-time given the Charles chance and how well Paris Bogoma was playing and how well players like Josh Sheehan were playing just in front of the back three. But Pompey also had their chances. There was the Yengi chance. There was that little bit in the first half where Yengi collected the ball from Kamara and then tried to square it, but got blocked. That could have easily ended up in a decent chance there. I think if it was a nil-nil or a one-all, I think it would have been fair. But it was the fact that Bolton had that glorious chance, missed it, and then Poppy propped up from a corner like they usually do. And you could tell that the the opposition were gutted. They just never recovered. Yeah, that takes us above Stevenish now for 11 set play goals in League One. So you can see we're doing something right there as well. And Sparks is a big part of that. Just before we get on to the second half and how it changed, in the first half, I did think that both Rafferty and Sparks defensively came under quite a lot of pressure. Both of them were getting skinned a little bit. There was a couple of missed kicks. It was quite nervy. So I think it's really important coming on into the second half with that in mind to look at how we tactically approached it. And Fred, I'll be interested to hear how the pressing stats compared from the first half to the second half, if you had that information around. But Messino talked about after the game, the fact that we were very brave with our pressing. We committed numbers to the press. We stopped Bolton from passing out from the back and Santos had to deal with Yengi. So he actually likes to carry the ball forward quite a lot and he sort of starts there their pass out from the back. We didn't give them time to do that. I thought as well, a bit more of an unsung here, I thought Marlon Pack sitting in that deep role sort of anchored the defence really well in that situation with Morel and Robertson then both able to press forwards. I noticed that, I mean, I don't think passing accuracy is a very good stat, but, you know, he sat, he sat in there 88%. He was also a player in this situation. He made eight eight recoveries as well. So the ball was just going to him because he was in good position. So every time they couldn't pass out, they tried to play it over the ball, over the over the top a little bit there. They had to go long. So Marlon Pack there was sitting in that position and just sort of swept up anything that came over. And whilst the other midfielders then were allowed to press forward, 
Fred, that tactical adjustment to a certain level, was it a tactical adjustment or was it just Pompey can be a little slow to get started and they just found their form and they just clicked and that enabled the press to have so much success against Bolton? I think it was a tactical adjustment. They figured out how Bolton, well, how they were played out from the back and which players they relied on. And then they were able to close those players down individually, stop the patterns and the triangles happening in and around that third and then Bolton had to go a little bit more direct with their distribution, and they did not seem comfortable with that at all. I didn't think Baxter's goal kicks were that good. A lot of them went out, and there are lots of situations where you could tell that Bolton are used to not dealing with as high press there as Pompey. I've got a little breakdown of the passes allowed per defensive action stats, where the lower the number, the higher the press every time. So around... The 31st minute to the 45th minute, so at the end of the first half, it was around 12. Before that, when Bolton were on top of Pompey and then that, that happened with the Dion Charles miss, Pompey were all the way down to 40, but that was literally because Bolton had so much of the possession and so much control in the game. Then from the 46th minute to the 60th minute, it was at a 6.1, which is an incredibly high press. Then at a 6.9, and then at around about 8.6 for um, when the goal came in. And that's in quarter of an hour increments. So you could tell just by that that Pompey's pressing moved upwards into the second half because they're able to figure out who drove play from out of the back. They always pressed Santos because it was obvious that Santos was the first player to receive the pass and then he would pass out to his centre-half partners, either Jones or the other centre-half partner. I can't remember whose name that was. Well, I remember anyway. And yeah, they were able to lock that down and then just recover the ball and be always on top of them and that was the biggest thing they just they, they weren't comfortable Bolton they weren't comfortable at all in that second half and they were ins insisting on playing out from the back in their own third which I like teams playing out from the back and be, being very technical but at least whenever Portsmouth did it they were able to progress the ball up the pitch a little bit beforehand I noticed when Sean Raggett wasn't pressed who go on like little dribbles to, be, to to get the ball out from right at the back of Pompey's half to bring it forward a little bit. And a couple of times he did, he made about three or four crisp passes to Kamara and the other midfielders and were able to progress the ball properly, playing out, but not doing it a way that's incredibly dangerous and playing it around the penalty area. I think we only got caught like twice in the first half, nearly, but were able to get away with it. Whereas Bolton, they were too dogmatic and that they were obsessed with doing it and they were able to give the ball away an awful lot. I think on the Sean Raggett topic quickly there as well, you're completely right about his sort of kids passing out from the back and what was the phrase used earlier, making you, when we weren't recording, making you look a bit silly, Fred will paraphrase, but I still think your point previously has stood and what was not a bad point to have made in the past, but his sort of his committing, his decision-making in terms of coming out for interceptions when he broke that back four line to come out and intercept, intercept critical passes in centre defensive midfield, he didn't make a bad decision in the full 90 that I saw and kept seeing, you know, you'd look up and see someone make this really important interception and be like, oh, I wonder who that, oh, Sean again, Rags is everywhere. And just his decision-making was spot on. And when you look at Bolton as a side, and I still think they're going to go up in the automatics, hopefully we win the league, they go up second, whatever. I still think they will go up in the automatics. Part of that is because they're they're attacking wise, they're extremely balanced. So 
when if Bodvarsson's going to get a decent run of t- uh, games in the team, he's really good in the air, particularly. And you have to give credit to Raggett and, Sh- and Shocknessy for winning that aerial battle for most of the game against him, with the exception of that header that Norris saved in the first half. Dion Charles gives you that threat on the ground a bit more. And again, credit to the back four for dealing with him. Magoma, we've already said, is so dangerous running with the ball at a back four. And I think we have to give a lot of credit to Morel and to Pack. Uh, they had a very difficult first half dealing with him, but he was much quieter in the second half. So credit there where it's due. And then where Bolton normally do find it possible to play out from the back with that back three of Toll, Santos and Jones, the high press was executed so well and so consistently because the, the high press is like a chain. It's only as strong as the weakest link, right? If the high press is let down by one individual, the entire high press fails. And that high press was executed so well by our front four in particular. So, I mean, I, I could have just named there nine out of 11 players in terms of negating Bolton's two main strengths. They're one attacking main strength and they're one defensive main strength. And I think Norris had a flawless game as well. So I just, yeah, I, the the Bolton strengths that have made them such a good time this season, the fact that 11 out of 11 Pompey starting players had good games and did their role so well meant that we were able to negate that attacking threat and we were able to put so much pressure on their defensive build-up play, they weren't able to execute. They looked really dodgy, like almost as bad as Northampton in terms of the risk of losing the ball in their own first third. And you just have to give so much credit to the Pompey side for for executing so well. Yeah, it was all round, all round good performance, as you just said there, Andy. Talk about Joe Morell quickly, and I'm I know I've taken a sip of your zero percent gin or whatever you're drinking now, but Joe Morell had a really good game. It was a big decision there to bring Joe back into the team. Sadie had had some good games as well, and to push Alex Robertson up into that into the sort of number ten position so he could fit Joe Morell back into the team and. I think Joe Morrell's athleticism in this game was really important. He didn't give them any time in the ball in the centre of the park. I know he led the led the team with three tackles, for instance, but also eight passes into the final third. So he got forward. He was he was all over the pitch, wasn't he, and stuff. And although maybe some of Robertson's intricate passing and didn't quite come off as, as well as it has done in some other games, I think the three of them worked excellent together. And you've got to give Messinio, haven't you, really, credit there for making that big decision and, and changing it up. Yeah, 100%. I think, firstly, on the most important part of that, the 0% gin, uh, I was about to say my body is a temple, but then I realised it's more like 2023 braid, uh, braiding Roman villa, sort of just a wreck rather than a nice nice temple. But uh, yeah, in terms of the, the less important side of that point, it's very easy to say that, you know, Messino's made the common sense right decision, etc., bringing in Morel for Sadie, but that's with the power of 2020 hindsight. And I think... Yeah, with hindsight, it looks like the logical thing to do. You know, you play probably your best players. That sounds very reductionist, but you play your best players in the big games. And while Sadie has contributed a lot and had a good run of games, particularly in terms of his strength and bullying players, which is something that, you know, was obviously relevant in this game against Santos with Yengi having to try and do that. You'd have to say that our strongest middle three in terms of pure footballing ability, is probably Morel, Pack, and Robertson. I, that's my personal opinion. I'm sure some people would disagree because social media is, you know, for lots of people with differing opinions. But Morel had a really good game, didn't he? he? Again, that's very, very basic analysis. But in terms of being everywhere and being that classic sort of 
terrier kind of dog just everywhere running around putting the legwork in and just being where Bolton didn't want him to be at all times but doing it with a with football nouse with smarts and not doing anything stupid with a, a referee who as we said earlier wasn't afraid to bring out cards Morel was you know one of the players that wasn't booked I mean two out of three of Bolton centre midfield players were booked and Mor- and Robertson was obviously for Pompey and Morel managed to avoid going in the book. So he played a pretty sensible game mentally as well as the physical side of things. Did you see that one time where he got sort of knocked off the ball? It was probably a foul. And then the ball got passed out to the left-hand side and everyone was like, oh no, here comes the yellow. And he just pulls out of the challenge rather than, I don't know, being a bit hot-headed. He goes for it. You can see him running over to clatter the guy a little bit and throw everything into it. I'm guessing he's obviously trying to win the ball, but it was one of those moments and you just see him just pull out of it, you know, so he doesn't give it away. And I thought that's obviously good to see. People go on about, you know, he's sent off too much and, and moan about it. So it's good to credit Joe Morrell there when he actually does the right thing and, and pulls out of the challenge. It's like when you're on a, on a night out and you're quite drunk and you just have a little brief moment of clarity, you're about to do something monumentally stupid. And then you have that brief sort of drunk clarity of like, oh, this isn't a good shout, is it? I need to not do this. And then you sometimes manage to stop yourself from jumping into that river or stealing that statue from a church or like, you know, whatever you end up doing. And I'm what just nice quoting, have you not again, not again. No, I'm just <laughs> quoting things that I've seen Hugh do on evenings out before away days. Uh, <laughs> No, so you had that sort of moment of, nope, I'm going to be the adult here. I'm going to be the bigger human. I'm not going to snap him. I'm not going to take the yellow card. Plenty of time left in the game. We're a goal up. And it, yeah, it was uh, it was switched on. It was nice to see. Pompey continued to create some chances in this game as well. And there's a moment, again, talks about the press and Paddy Lane and Robertson sort of combine with this press. They, they win the ball back and they work it to Marlon Pack into the box. It's nice. It's not quite on his strong third. He's, he's trying to get it back onto his strong third so he can get a chance away. Santos sort of slides in and carries the ball somehow. It look, that is definitely a handball, in my opinion, the way he went down. He just looks like, because when I was on the fratten, he looks like he's just hugging the ball. Like It was like cuddled it off the pitch in that situation. And he's shaking his head. I've not seen it from that angle, but from behind the goal, for me, it looked like he sort of just cuddled it off the pitch yeah live I thought I shouted Stonewall pen live it was yeah it was definitely a pen having now seen it in slow motion is he chests it out it doesn't hit his hand as far as I can tell because uh, it looks like he uses his right arm to kind of like shepherd it out of play but he doesn't he jumps onto it with his chest and then he kind of rotates his torso around so looking at the replay I don't think that's ever a penalty live I was 100% sure that it was I'll take your word for it then. Thank God for the Sky camera angles. Yeah, but can we just do a quick shout out to Sky as well? And a combination of Sky and my job, meaning that I got out of third year exams. Uh, I think one of the people who had the third year exams is uh, listening to the podcast. So I won't won't give any spoilers away as how their grades went. But they ran so late that by the time we got out of um, out of the exams... And thanks to traffic in Oxford and Eastern Road being all messed up in Pompey, our ETA was after kickoff. So we got to start watching it on Sky. Absolutely fuming. So like I said last week, massive thank you to Sky for moving that to a Monday evening when uh, we have jobs and can't get in thanks to roadworks, etc. So yeah, really, really grateful for Sky doing yet more to benefit um, fans actually wanting to go to the game. So cheers for that. 
And if you are that third year student, you failed. So get yourself on that 0% gin Andy told me before the recording. So unlucky. <laughs> Jacob did fine. Jacob did fine. Go on, Jacob. All right, let's get back into let's get back to back to the game, I suppose. There's a tight angled shot that Bolton had down the other end, and it's from a really narrow angle, but as we saw against the Chal- against Charlton, there was a few times where Norris got beat on the near post. And although Andy said he was pretty flawless in this game, and I think that's completely fair, there was just a bit of a, a heart and mouth moment as that ball sort of got struck into the near post. And Norris does really well. He covers it. He gets down. He holds on to it. There's no spilling of it as well. But it's worth mentioning as a half chance, really. And then, sorry, Freddie, you want to jump in? Yeah, I was going to say, hey, that was a and on heart moment because Bob Varsa was able to get it onto a stronger foot there and from the back of the fraten end I could have imagined it just spilling across the line and the celebrations in the away end I would have hated it I would have absolutely hated it but no safe hands thankfully and then let's get onto the goal I suppose it's a really nice goal because the ball's booted up effectively isn't it and Santos is all over Yangi, but he manages to get it away and even though he's tumbling to the ground and we talked about the the ref giving the advantage and fair play, Bobby Madley, I suppose, in that situation. But I thought Terry Devlin came on, on in the wide position. We discussed, me and Freddie, when he came on, like, was it the right move? And he's and we know we've seen him do it before once at wing. And I turned to him and I said, oh, you know, when we signed him, we talked about the fact that he wins so many offensive duels high up the pitch. And he really sort of put that to work here. He's sort of link up play, getting the ball back, running with it as well linking up really nicely with Gavin White. I saw a little one-two. People are shouting, shoot, from the narrow angle at White. He doesn't do that. He lays it back with Devlin, put into the box, and Yengi converts it. Gavin White, just quickly, before we talk about Yengi, because there's a whole segment about him. If anyone's listening, thinking, why the hell haven't they mentioned Yengi yet? He was man of the match in this game, and we've barely spoke about his contributions because we're going to come on to that in more detail. But Gavin White, he came on in this game in the... 67th minute you know he had an expected assist of 1.14 according to foot mob in this game just generally came on and really showed you know what the kind of player that we thought we were signing when we when we got him and I know Messino said in this that he knew what he could do he's played with him and it was good to see that he could show the fans what he could do as well yeah absolutely I mean we looked at Gavin White's underlying numbers before and they looked okay but the problem was there was a lot of expectation riding from him due to the fact he's playing the championship previously and he was the senior player on that right side and looked as if he his performances to start with weren't good enough. He looked as if he wasn't in it. But in this game, it's a completely different player. High press again, closing down the wing back and the centre-halves. Brilliant link-up play with the centre-perfielders. That, that little one-two... With De- uh, with Devlin on the right hand side, superb, and he probably wouldn't have been able to be in the position to put in the low cross, splitting the two centre halves without doing that. And I was saying he should have crossed it in first time, but no, he didn't. Thankfully, he ignored me. Was able to play it round and played the lovely pass. And Yengi with a brilliant run in between the centre halves and got the goal he deserved. Loved it, and yeah, that goal was like a wrapped present on Christmas Day. Honest to God, loved it completely. I think we have seen glimpses from White. I think it's something that we've said repeatedly on the podcast that he's been a bit of a, what's the right term? A bit, it's been a bit of an easy critique, isn't it, of, of games when 
Pompey maybe have dropped points so far this season. It's been the easy critique of, oh, what did White contribute? But we have seen glimpses and there's been uh, the one that jumps to mind. I think it was the Reading game. He came on with about half an hour left and did cause a decent amount of threat and made a couple of really good runs and had one good chance to score from memory. And there's been a couple of games at Fratton. He's come on and got part of a game and, you know, not not set the world on fire, but not not been poor. And I do think he's become a bit of an easy... Target is probably too strong a word because that suggests there's malice, which in the majority of Pompey fans there hasn't been. But he's been quite an easy name drop for people to say, oh, he's not really putting in the same level of performances. But I think he's threatened to come on and really make an impact a couple of times and has been close to doing so. And then, yeah, as you say, him coming on with... With Devlin, when Devlin came on, I had one of those, you know, oh, Mr. Pigden, I thought you were dead moments like Ian Wright. And or they told me you was dead because we haven't seen him for a little while. But having the two of them coming on with what looked like properly fresh legs, because obviously they've had, you know, layoffs for different reasons recently. And it just brought a different element to the game and gave us a bit more attacking threat when the game was starting to. It was a little bit chaotic at times in the second half, wasn't it? It, it, Definitely wasn't meandering like the Northampton game was the week before. It was more chaotic than I would have liked. And it's quite difficult to manage a chaotic game out to a 1-0 win. And I thought we needed a two-goal, uh, a two-goal, what's the word I'm looking for? Difference between... Cushion. Yeah, two-goal cushion. I think I thought we needed that as we were going into the second half. And as White and Devlin came on and, and contributed, that looked more likely. And then obviously ended up with, with the second goal, which just took the weight of the world off my shoulders. I felt like Atlas and someone had just taken the globe off my back. It was, it was wonderful. That's two like ancient references in one. We've had braiding Roman Villa in Atlas. That's two. Uh, yeah. I was going to say, but... we've gone full academic, academic sort of classic historical references. That was my first, that was my undergrad degree. So I do approve of those references. Oh, I'll try and throw something classics based in every week, Freddie, just for you. It's like a little, um, What's the word? Like an Easter egg in each episode. And next week, we'll be talking about the Ottoman Empire. <laughs> Commentary from Freddie Webb. Boys, did you know that when, <laughs> um, you know, we have like 12 and 24 hours in a day, that is because ancient Babylonians, I think it was, had, you know, you've got three finger, like you've got your proximal distal and uh, proximal medial and distal phalanges, like your knuckle, basically where your knuckles are. So you've got one, no. two, three. But count your knuckles, genius. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve on your fingers, and you can count them with your thumb. And the fact you've got four sets of three knuckles on your fingers, not including your thumb, is why we work in base twelve for hours of the day. You wanted crap. That, 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 that's a cool thing, but Babylon wasn't my period, to be honest. Oh, uh, sorry, Freddie. I'll go back to, to ancient Greece. Northern geography between the ages of the history between the ages of 1960. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like what was it? The Weimar, Repub- the, the Weimar Republic, the rise of fascist Italy, and what we do, our British Empire, which for some reason we were told was like you know the heroic Brits improving the rest of the world with our technology, and then you look at Italy doing exactly the same thing. The evil dictators in Italy. It was a kind of skewed versions of history anyway we've is this going to make the cut speaking of, speaking of historical things that have happened what that yangi goal we, we're going to go for it in detail because we're going to play some guess the xg and that is hooray guess the xg 
the guest the xg for today and it's yengi's last minute winner and thoroughly deserved you can tell how happy andy is by playing the theme tune he's up for it surely i can't remember who's going first i can never remember this it's a country country riff two or something on Garage Band, which is just thought it was very Freddie Webb when we brought the game in. If anyone's wondering why that was that was chosen, it's the kind of music Freddie listens to, and he just hangs out in his bedroom, really. So when my shoulder is better enough to play the guitar, we'll do a live version of it, a live studio version for you to to plan in. That's the kind of thing. If you had a patron, you'd be <laughs> bashing that out. <laughs> Listen the- to Andy play the guitar to the guest the XG theme tune. We need to start a Patreon for like three pound ninety nine a week. You get. 10 cool a facts week? about good god a week jesus <laughs> good god <laughs> yeah. that, that's fine but for five pounds a month boys you get 10 cool facts about ancient babylon including the hanging gardens you get one fun fact about me and greek medicine you get to request one piano piece and one guitar song a month we'll be rolling in it either that or people will pay us not to do it i don't know which I'm and sure he will also this will be queuing up for that Andy will also turn up to one special event of your choice. So weddings or whatever you want to do, your mate's well, birthday party. I'm, I'm very open. Yeah. yeah. And he'll play a set there. Um, gender yeah, reveals. I'm, I'm, I'm good at, good at gender reveals. I can dress in blue or pink and jump out of a balloon. I'm very multi-talented. We will not be doing that. But before we could do this and derail Freddie's guest, the XG, any more than it already is. Freddie, you you caught my intent. I was like, if I keep talking about something else, they might forget it's happening. Yeah, that's my job as a host. Back on track, Freddie Webb, can you please ask the guest, the XG question? Yes. So can we, can I have the XG for Cassini Yengi's goal in the last minute to bring the game up to 2-0 and send Pompey six points top of the table? Do you want me to go first, Mitch and Moore? He's you know the way, pal. So my instinct is to say that it's quite high, but we spoke about Dion Charles's chance. Now, Freddie also mentioned the discrepancy between Footmob and which draws his data from Opta and Y Scout of point one. It was pretty much, wasn't it, Fred? So it's quite a discrepancy here. So it depends if we're going on. Are we going on the Y Scout data here, Freddie? Okay. All right. So it was 0.8 or something, wasn't it, on Y Scout rather than 0.9 from Opta. So I'm going to say that it was obviously less than that chance. He had five shots in total. I believe his XG was over one in the game. So I'm going to say that the XG for that shot was 0.65. Okay, so on actually zero point seven. I don't know zero point six five. I'll stick with my original answer. I'll stick with my original answer. Okay, yes, exactly. Go on then. All right, Uh, it's left footed, isn't it? And Cassini Yangi is right footed, so it is weaker foot. And Charles is was zero point eight. I will go zero point seven two. Just doing some quick maths in my head. And Andy is just about the closest by a small margin. Both of you are very good on this one. I should have I should have pressed the change. 
No, like, you, you have to go with your original answer, I know, but I, if I'd gone for 0.7, would I have won? Would I have uh, won, Freddy? Yangi's XG was 0.69. Oh! So you would have been almost on it. Don't you um, just hate to see it? You, you yeah, do I do. Hate to see it. I you'd, do. Love to see, you'd, you'd love to see that XG number and that goal, but you hate to see Hugh with his head in his hands, looking very forlorn for himself. Yeah, I'm, I don't I'm, think I'm Hugh's head is in his hands at losing guess the XG. I'm disappointed in, in myself, really, and I'm disappointed in myself as a host by not trying to convince Freddie that I was allowed to change the change my answer. But you know what, Andy? Both of us got pretty close this time. I'm happy with that result, generally. I think we're getting better at this. I wouldn't go that far, but I think that's a broken clock right twice a day kind of thing. We've done all right there, yeah. I'll take the win. Freddie, are you keeping the league table going? Are you actually keeping yes, the Yes, I, I, I have literally just filled it in while it was on mute now. Ah, I'm on then. Let's see where we are. I think we're level. Do you want to do the quickly running tally? I think you. You're still one up. We are level. Yes, four each. And then can you do the rest of the league table? And then yes, uh, Gida is one up against Jack Hancock, and then John Taylor (laughs) Taylor is one up against Andy. So that is the the full guess the XG table. So sorry, what is it? So it's Hugh and myself tied, and then Joth, and then the hamster. Then the hamster, and then just for clarification, Jack Hancock in fifth. Yes. Fantastic. I love this thing. We're going to have to get Jack back on to give him a chance to overtake the hamster against you. You can choose whether you give yourself or the hamster the point. Are you more cared about beating me, or are you more intent on keeping Jack at the bottom below the hamster? I think we all know the answer to that without me having to explicitly state it. (laughs) All right. Eda will be subbed in next week. Let's move on. Just before we get into the listener question, Andy, get a little bit of a chat with the uh, Trotter Chatter podcast. What are they saying about the game? Yeah, they dropped me a buzz after the game. It's just interesting to get, I guess, a Bolton viewpoint after the game because normally we just get team previews. We don't really get their responses to what's happened unless we go and watch their review podcast or listen to their review podcast. So the Bolton overall view on this was that uh, two good teams battling for 20 minutes of football and then the what-if moment, which they've said again is going to haunt them for the rest of the season, potentially, when Charles misses the open net. Uh, After that, their view is that they were outplayed by the much better team on the night and Yengi caused Santos more trouble than any other striker has in any of their games so far this season. So kind of supports what we were saying in that one, I know we're going to move on to, to talking about Cassini Yangi in a moment. And they basically said there's no shame in losing away to top of the league, but they're fairly confident that Bristol Rovers are going to be on the receiving end of a bit of a reaction and might be in a bit of trouble, It's the direct quote, when Bolton play against them on Saturday. So it's worth keeping an eye out for, for that scoreline. It sounds like they're going to try and take out on Bristol Rovers a little bit, which is a pity because I'd I'd rather they did that to a Joey Barton team. So part of me wishes Joey Barton was still at Bristol Rovers, but I'm hoping they ruin Giovanni Brown's weekend at least to get a bit of, you know, equilibrium back in sort of the karmic, the karmic side of things. I think Bolton Wanderers on the whole, their fans were pretty magnanimous in, in the game and saying, you know, Pompey turned up kind of like Northampton were the last couple of games we've had the opposition fans have been pretty good after the game. Uh, in terms of saying, yeah, actually, Pompey played well, which has been nice to see. No one really blaming the ref. Um, there was one Bolton fan I saw who was adamant that uh, we only won the game because our pitch is smaller than theirs, which seems a bit straw clutchy. What, what a what what a strange flex that is. Well, I, 
I looked my at it stadium, and like our stadium's pitch is bigger than yours. It's like two point five percent less wide. Uh, it seems I know margins are small in in professional football, but I'm, I'm not convinced. If I'm entirely honest with you, that's a little bit salty. Yeah, but let's talk about Yengi. We've been going for a while now and we haven't talked about him. So let's get into the question. And thanks to everyone who meshes in. We really appreciate it. It makes the show. So let's get into it. And we put a question out to you guys. We said, does Yengi offer Pompey more than Bishop? It's a simple question. It's a question that people were talking about around us in the stand. So we thought, let's put it out to you and see what you're going to say. So Dave Hartley meshes in and says, it gives Pompey a different dynamic to go at teams now. Plus, when Bishop is back, he can slowly reintroduce him to avoid further injury to help in the next half of the season. Freddie, how important is it for us to have another threat is my first sort of thing, a different type of threat and showing that he can sort of raise it on the big game. And does that mean that we can rest Bishop a bit more and hopefully sort of manage game time? Or is it a case of he'll come straight back out, put Bishop in and he's in for every game? Well, at the rate that Yengi's going, it's not going to be the easiest decision for Massinho, is it? I'd, it seems at this point that Bishop won't be flung straight into the starting eleven at the first opportunity at any rate, even before he's fit. Yengi offers a much different profile to Bishop. I think Bishop's link-up plays is a bit better, better but Yengi's pace and being able to run down the channels and run into space offers ports of an awful lot in terms of their build-up with through balls. And we've seen... In League One for years now, it's the adaptable sides that are often the best ones. They have that one style of play, then they make little individual tweaks in games if something doesn't work. And Yengi offers a completely different option, I think. He's proven he's got the finishing and composure about him. And he's proven that he's able to battle with one of the best centre-halves in League One and to be able to stand up physically but also offer something else and offer that movement off the ball, which all good strikers have at any level, let alone League One. So no, I think thoroughly important that we have another option aside from Bishop, because we were, weeks ago we were saying if Bishop's injury was worse, he was out for the season, then Pompey's season could be completely derailed. And I think that could that argument could be still valid, but Yang is proving after his little injury spell to start with awful lot that he's groaning into this league. And it's brilliant to see, isn't it? Yeah, massively. And again, for him, it's about keeping fit as well, isn't it? And he, was, he did look like he was tiring a little bit into the game. He obviously got the goal, but not surprising. He was absolutely battered by Santos in this game. And for me, it was just really nice to see a different play. But Sean messaged in and said, and this is interesting, Andy, it links to a player we were talking about earlier on, but he says, better isn't the right word, in my opinion. Different is the right description. We play differently to Bishop and offer a different threat. Yengi feels very similar to George Hurst. Powerful, strong, quick, decent in the lone role. Do you think it's fair to draw that comparison to George Hurst, Andy? Yeah, I think so. Obviously, they're the same age and uh, both (laughs) both doing similar goal scoring things at the moment in their respective leagues. I think the fact that he brings such a different option, Yangi, to to Bishop is... Basically, I agree with what Freddie just said and I hate doing that. It makes me entirely uncomfortable. It's just a different it's a different threat, isn't it? Bishop is obviously very physical and would have given Santos a very different type of game in that Bolton match. But I do think, in a weird way, again, 2020 hindsight's easy. Maybe Yengi against Santos was the better matchup. 
Uh, and I'm I'm not saying that that doesn't mean Bishop should come shouldn't come straight back into the team when he's fit again because you know he's one of the best number nines in the entire division. But it's always good to have variation in the type of threat you can pose because there are some games where we've seen Bishop be fairly anonymous from time to time, and it will be the same. There'll be certain games where Yengi is going to really struggle to make an impact. And having that variability in the type of player you have, like it's what we said about Bolton uh, in the Bolton review, where they've got that sort of attacking threat um, in the air with Bodvarsson, and then they've got the sort of the ground, more flair player attacking threat with Charles. That's the kind of our equivalent, I guess, where you've got a really physical, dangerous presence in in Colby Bishop, who is going to be clinical. And then you've got Yengi, who, yeah, maybe a little bit more raw, is potentially going to have a bit more of a range in his performances on a rating out of 10. Whereas, you know, Bishop, a bit more experienced, do you think it's just going to be consistent, a bit of a lower standard deviation in his in his performance ratings? But they pose really different threats. And it'd be nice to have George Hurst back at the moment, wouldn't it? Now we've brought him up, he's doing all right for himself. Nigel Meshison, he says, it gives us another approach up top, and we're going to need that as there is no doubt the pressing game will see fatigue later on in the season. Despite having more depth in the squad than we've had before, Fred, do you think that it's a case of... Because I do feel that Yengi being brought on later in the game, it's, it's, it's quite difficult as a striker, is it, to get into a into a flow, into a routine, you're sort of coming on as a an impact sub, etc. But do you see it in that way, that he's going to come on and stretch teams later, or... Is it more of a case of giving him some starts when it's more tactically appropriate, like maybe it was today, even though it was very circumstantial to start today? Well, sorry, to start yesterday. I can see it's it's incredibly hard, but I do just see Massino starting Bishop when he's 100% fit. I don't think he's going to rush him back, considering the form of Yengi, and then bringing Yengi on to stretch teams. I know it's a harder role for him because... Obviously, you're not Matt Sharp. You're not you're not used to the pace of the game when you come on with perhaps quarter of an hour to go, for example. But it's the sort of thing where Bishop offers so much in the link-up play that Yengi doesn't as of yet, that that's quite beneficial. Or it might be a case of if a team has some very slow and plodding centre-halves, then you play Yengi so he's able to get into those little gaps and be able to dribble a little bit. And be able to move the, the ball a little off the ball a little bit. I, I still see Bishop starting when he's fully fit and Yengi being the impact player, but I don't see that as a bad thing. I just, I think that's just good squad balance, to be honest. It's obviously a small sample size with us having seen Yengi get extended minutes in one game, like you know, starting and playing and well into the second half. But what's jumped out in the times he has done that and particularly jumped out in this Bolton game, was how much he enjoys the battle. And I think if you bring him on purely as an impact sub, you're really limiting his ability to get into a, a battle. And you could see that that ongoing, it was just full 90 minutes of him basically being, you know, ABH'd by, um, by Santos and just getting fouled repeatedly. As we said earlier, the referee, it was the one thing that the referee could have done better, I think, was was pick up on some of those fouls. And that battle going on for however many minutes, and you could see that it was kind of like a... It wasn't really tactical, was it? He was just getting beaten up. But you could see that he really bought into it. And I think that brought out the best in him, having that personal battle. 
And I think if you bring him on as an impact sub in the 84th minute, there's not time for that to kick in. And again, I'm not saying that he should start in front of Bishop. I'm absolutely not saying that. Messino's got a headache when Bishop comes back because I think Bishop has to start when he's fully fit. He's just too good not to. It'd be madness not to. But I think if you're purely bringing Yangi on as an impact sub in the last 20, yeah, you're you're not giving him that opportunity to do what he really relished in that bowling game. And it depends if he comes on as an impact player. If Bishop's still on the pitch, where do you play him? Do you play behind Bishop so he can get into those things? Do you do you shipping out to the wing? It's it's very odd, isn't it? Because it's quite clear that Yengi is an out and out striker, and I don't see him fitting in any other position. To be honest, well, that's the next question, Fred. The question from Kevin here is bigger question: is can you find a way to play them together? I want to do the Mike Bassett four four effing two thing on the podcast, but. We've had feedback saying that some people like the pod because we don't swear very much, so I won't go full Mike Bassett. And also, I don't think we should play four four two, but that's not the point. Yeah, it's incredibly hard to fit them both into the same side. Because um, obviously, Bishop is an out-and-out number nine, but so is Yengi. I don't think you're going to get a lot out of Yengi playing on the wing. Um, his link-up play, and to a certain extent, is decent. He had a few decent passes, but it's always better when he's the focal point. And... If you're playing him at Cam, let's say you sub him on for Robertson or something, I, don't, I still don't think the link-up play is good enough there to be able to link all the way in the two. So it's it's very difficult. It's very difficult. I think you just have to pick one or the other, unfortunately. Josh Lish messaged in and says, Ooh, that's a good question. Yengi offers something different to Bishop with his mobility. Whether he'd struggle more with the low block, we'll have to see but it helped Pompey's press to have Bolton defenders worried about the space behind. Now, we're going to come on to speak to Ollie, uh, you know, about Shrewsbury and how they're going to play. But Andy, do you think that when there's not as much space in behind and you're looking then to play people off, off of maybe a player like Bishop with his like intricate like, hold-up play, etc., is that where he's maybe going to struggle more than a team a bit more expansive like Bolton? Yeah, I think that's a really good point, actually, that we haven't really seen him have the full 90 minutes against the team who were comf more comfortable playing out from the back against the high press. And also, as you say, teams who are going to put in a low block. I think potentially we're going to learn a lot about that from the game against Shrewsbury on Saturday because that's probably something that he hasn't been able to prove his ability to do as yet purely because he hasn't played against the teams that give him that opportunity to demonstrate his ability to do that. Uh, so, yeah, I was actually nodding as you were reading that tweet out because that's not something I thought of, uh, which I think is a very fair point. And obviously, we're going to go away to Shrewsbury. They don't, you know, spoiler alert, they don't really change where they play a lot. But some teams at home will play a little bit more expansive, won't they? So, in that situation, maybe you could see even away from home, there would be a bit more space at the back against teams who maybe would play a bit more of a low block at Fratton Park. Obviously, Bolton don't do that. They play the way Bolton play under Ian Everett, who's a good manager, feisty character, but a good manager. And that allowed us basically to, to press and it really worked for, for Yangi there. Um, Ian Thompson messaged in, he said, I'd like to see both on the pitch at the same time. I mean, how, Ian? I'd like to know your thoughts on that at PO Forecasts. How how can you fit them in at the same time? I don't want to change the system. It's working at the moment. So I'm sort of, you know, concerned about changing the way we play to fit both of them in. And I sort of feel that you'd have to change that system really in order to fit both players into the team. I think at the moment it's very much 
as and then Andy said earlier on, you know, about the press, it's everyone playing as a unit in a system and understanding that system. And that's part of our strength, I think, as a team. So Ian, let us know if you can work out how to fit the two two people in. Here a message in and says unnecessary debate. I don't expect Yengi to be able to perform like that every week yet. Bishop's ridiculously good. Great to have both options available. Definitely is good to have both options available. I think the debate really here is just how both of them can be utilised within the team. What are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? You know, how can we how can we utilise both players up front? Really, rather than necessarily a better. That's fair enough. I think that's fair to say that they both have different strengths and hopefully we can utilise that against different opposition. Pompey SW messes in and says, wouldn't say he offers more. He does offer pace in behind, which Santos struggled with. However, most teams won't play with as much space in behind, which is where Bishop's link-up play is so key. As Andy said then, Freddie, do you feel that it's going to be a big test for him against Shrewsbury in that sense, in a completely different opposition? Uh, it is, I, I think, because I would assume that Shrewsbury will play in a low block. Yeah, you'll also have to probably have to deal with another strong one-on-one defender in Shea Dunkley. He's managed it against Santos. He'll probably love that personal battle against Dunkley, but he's still going to have to deal with that. But also other defenders deep next to him. So, for example, if he's able to win the ball against that space, there probably won't be as much room for him to go into a dribble or something. It is going to be a bit more difficult. I think the wingers will have to give him a lot of options and outlets when they press as a free in the front. Jack messaged in and says, too early to say. That's a fair point. We're excited. We're talking about it. But only over time are we going to see how it pans out. So Jack is appreciated. John English messaged in and he says, what a game, lads. That's right. What a game. It's summed up well. I hope Colby gets back soon. But in a way, we were lucky that Yangi and Santos went head to head. As I feel Santos would have done a better job defending against Colby. Hopefully White gains some confidence from his assist. See you guys at the next home game. See you there, John. Yeah, I think it's good to see how, how he played. Do you think it's fair to say that Santos would have, you know, not done as well against, or sorry, done better against Bishop? Maybe. It, it, it depends, really, because I know we've seen Bishop in some games when he's double marked, especially, or he's had a large defender on him. It looks as if throughout the game he's struggling a little bit but his link-up play is still there and obviously if Bishop gets a chance at the box he's still taking it most of the time I think it would have been just a bit of a different challenge I think Pompey might have struggled to be able to complete to create some of the chances they did in this game if Bishop was starting not because of that Bishop would have been a bad matchup against Santos but I think Bishop wouldn't have been able to turn Santos as Yenge did multiple times I think he would have had to rely on the wingers a lot more for the pace in the, in those half spaces. Tom meshes in and he says, I think Bishop gives us better finishing, which is sometimes all you need when you've got a decent squad like ours at the moment. I think Yengi's great physicality and pace. There's sometimes we've missed up front though. Yeah, I think it just makes us more dynamic team. More difficult to sort of plan against, I suppose, having two options up front. Yeah, I don't know what else to say about that really, to be honest, unless anyone else wants to jump in. Uh, Ryan messes in and he says before Yang got injured I was called a moron and mentally damaged for suggesting that we're collectively a better attacking threat with Yangi up top don't get me wrong Bishop is a superb striker and an excellent scorer of goals 
But for me, I think Yengi offers something extra, which just makes us more of a threat across the whole attacking line. Whereas a Bishop front, we're guilty of relying on one man. I think maybe you could say that in the way that the collective press, would you say, Fred, was better with Yengi stretching the line? Do you think that's fair to say it was easier for other players then to join him that press because of his athleticism up front? I think you could argue that quite well because Bishop can press, but obviously he's not as athletic and as mobile as Yengi. But then again, Bishop offers other qualities, especially in possession with the link-up play and bringing players in. Again, like we mentioned, I don't think it's... I don't, it, it, the, the debate is going to be there for a long time because you can't play both together in this system. You just can't. You, you, you'll you take out another quality part of this side to be able to do that, and then the whole thing would break. So you simply have to go with one or the other, and I think it might just be down to personal opinions of what sort of what type of striker you prefer because Yengi sort of fits that modern striker mold of being tall, physical, who can dribble, who can move, who is very mobile off his feet and then get into those positions. Whereas Bishop, I really like him, but he's definitely a more traditional number nine, not just as a target man, his link up plays excellent, but he's, a, but he's the fox in the box, able to get into spaces where not a lot of strikers can be able to convert those, convert those shots. But his passing is also very good and he's able to offer a lot. So, again, I think horses for courses. You're going to have to choose, unfortunately. Let's go back to the other poster and said, only time will tell because it will. And we'll see what happens at Shrewsbury. But it's just nice to see a striker like Yangin come in and grasp the moment and perform in the big games where it's needed. And hopefully that just gives us that, that sort of confidence that if one's out, the other one can come in. We've got some depth there. Before it was very much Bishop and then who could fill his boots. And maybe, I know it's only one game where he started here, but maybe that gives us the opportunity to have a bit more faith. Um, the last thing I want to say, Andy, is do you think we should go out and buy another striker with Yengi potentially or, or loan one? With Yengi obviously going off to the Asia Cup, do we still need to get cover in in the four position? I think so. Yeah, I mean, realistically, literal best case, Bishop's back for Boxing Day from what I can see. And I don't think he's going to come straight back into a starting position, I wouldn't think. And then what is it going to be about a week, two weeks before Yengi goes off, assuming he's called up for Australia? So however Yengi does in the next few weeks, I think you need more than one player who you're going to be confident playing at number nine. So yeah, I I do think it's important we get some sort of cover there because we don't want to be in a position where we have been under the two previous managers where we're being forced to play right attacking wingers or players who rather play at number 10, putting them up top, which is what we've seen with players like her, uh, we like Harness, players like Curtis, people, uh, people like Rico Hackett. All of them have been dumped up top when they probably didn't really want to be because of a lack of depth. And that could derail things if we're forced into doing that. Uh, so, yeah, I think short answer, we do need to do that. Freddie's nodding. He agrees too. That's t- All right. Twice in a week, Freddie, we've agreed with each other. I'm physically uncomfortable. That hell's frozen over, hasn't it, mate? Yeah, I just don't. I don't like it. Say something controversial. About a- a- anything specific? <laughs> just nothing that will get us cancelled, but something I that I can I morally. Say, I, can't, I, can't, I can't think of it. I can't think of anything to be honest, off the top of my head. Hmm. <laughs> 
This is that good moment to move us on. Well, but yes, Freddie, you on. said before. No, Freddie messaged me saying he thought Joey Barton was right. Just, just no context. He just said Joey Barton was right. Didn't say what about. So lies and slander. <laughs> <laughs> Get his journalism talk out there straight away. Slander, <laughs> lies. <laughs> Spin that somehow. But yeah, no, he didn't say that. In case anyone starts trying to cancel us for Barton comments. <laughs> yeah, I can confirm that text did not arrive. It was an email. Let's move on. We spoke to Ollie from the Salamp cast to preview the game on Saturday away at Shrewsbury. Ollie's a returning guest. He's been on the podcast for years now as we've battled to get out of League One. We spoke about to Ollie about obviously the new managerial change, the sort of philosophy change that's trying to happen at Shrewsbury. They're trying to change the way they play, etc. And what to expect, I suppose, as Pompey head over to Shrewsbury. Feeling good, I suppose, against the win against Bolton. So here's Ollie from the Salop cast. All right, I'm here with Ollie from the Salop cast. And Ollie, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me on. No, thanks for coming back on the show. We've been doing this a few years now. And I think a we few. got. Yeah, I think we've got a bit of a feel for you know, for Shrewsbury, what kind of teams and stuff. But with the new manager change and, you know, going into the season, are, are we looking at a sort of a different style of Shrewsbury team or is, is it more of the same? Yeah, that's a good question. Good place to start. We were told it was going to be different and it ain't. <laughs> um, so, and we, are, we were told we've got a director of football now, so it's quite a structural change for Shrewsbury. Um, got Matty Taylor, who obviously your fans know very well, um, in. He was quite interesting, actually. Obviously, he, I don't know how much you've heard him talk. He talks very, very well. He said he learned a lot from his Walsall experience. Um, he said, you know, he'd necessarily be a bit more pragmatic. But it's fair to say we are playing 100% cultural football. Um, we really struggled. Probably didn't take long. You know, when you watch a football team and you just think, this ain't working. The players are not buying into this at all. Um, and we lost really badly at home, not in terms of scoreline, but in terms of performance against Bristol Rovers at home. And I thought, I said, turn to a mate, my sitting next to her, I said, you won't be here by Christmas. And then we had a couple of results, it got a bit better, and then it got worse again. And then since then, since um, we lost to Blackpool um, away 4-0, and we were dire. And since then, we've gone on a little bit of a mini run. So we beat Port Vale 2-1, and we had a, a nil-nil draw against Exeter away, which is a really poor result. But we beat Notts County in the in the cup and then we got a good result um, on Saturday away at Wickham and we are grinding out results um, and I wouldn't be surprised if you have probably 70 plus possession on Saturday but we are very very um, good defensively I say that we'll probably get spanked now but we are a good a very very well well drilled football side there have been quite a few parallels, actually, in, in some games between the Pompey and the Shrewsbury seasons by the looks of it, in terms of what I'm assuming was a reasonably drab point against Cambridge, which I think is a fair summary of our game against them as well. Going two goals down against Reading to come back and beat them 3-2 and losing 4-0 to Blackpool. There's a lot of similarities there in our seasons in some aspects. What you said about it being like important that you guys are pretty sound defensively, the win you just described against Wickham at the weekend, taking a look at one of the League One Team of the Weeks that were reported, your players that made it into that Team of the Week were two defensive players, so Joe Anderson and Shay Dunkley. It's unusual to see defensive players make it into the Team of the Week for a team that have won a game, like compared to the more attacking players also being involved. 
how does that reflect what happened in the game? Like, was it a bit of a hit and run? Like, your goal was a nice goal, wasn't it? It was a hit from outside the area, left-footed. What was the pattern of the game like, other than not being overly pretty? It was one of those games of football which you guys have seen, you know, hundreds of times being in League One, where, I don't know, either you're defending or you're, you know, not having the best game and you're defending or, you know, you're trying to knock on the door. And Wickham played into our strengths. So they just kept putting the ball into the box, into the danger zone. Um, and Shea Dunkley, who's one of the better defenders at this level, just won everything. So it was just a who scored algorithm stats. You know, he just, they gave him the opportunity to win load of headers. He won them all. But he did load of box. He did load of clearances. And while they dominated possession, they dominated shots, they didn't really threaten the goalkeeper that much. Maurice made maybe one save. That's why he wasn't in, you know, he wasn't in there. And so he was probably miles away from being in that in that team of the week. So they just basically enabled our defenders to get good stats, if that makes sense, um, without really threatening too much. You mentioned earlier that this Shrewsbury side is playing just like the side under Steve Cottrell in terms of style of play, even though you heard a lot about the style of play effectively changing. Why has it stayed the same? Is it just Matty Taylor being pragmatic with the players he has before bringing new ones, or is it just the players reverting to type in the middle, in the middle it's of the game? A bit of pragmatism, yeah, a bit of pragmatism in terms of the probably the quality of players, and we've debated on the podcast does the manager not necessarily trust the ability we have, but at the same time we've also have a massive injury crisis. So obviously you guys know, obviously you know you know league well really well. You know, teams of Shrewsbury's size, but imagine a team of Shrewsbury's size with 11 first team players injured. That's a massive, massive injury. That's a big injury crisis for any football club. We've been a big injury crisis for a larger League One team, but, uh, you know, one of the smaller League One teams, that's really difficult. And we've been in some games, like Exeter away. Yeah, it's a bit frustrating to watch. And you went into that game thinking we could get something there. Was, their results were awful. But then you look at the bench and there's like one player that maybe could come on. So it's pragmatism in terms of grinding out results. It's working as well. Um, and yeah, you just look at our league position. It's 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 quite um, phenomenal. I don't know if you've noticed how many goals we've scored. I was going to mention that later on because in total it's 13 goals and that's Udder yeah. with top, top scorer of three goals and a lot of players with two goals. Why? Um, well, why, why is the goal tally so low? Is it just... Is it just individual players not being up to it? Is it the style of play that's limiting things? What, what is it? And this is this is the problem that um, Matt Taylor has. Is we are inept at going forward, utterly, utterly inept. Um, and we we had a, a discussion um, on the podcast, and we were almost going through the goals and. Like Fleetwood away, their defender slips over and Dan O'Rodeau runs half the pitch and puts the ball on the back of the net. Scored a few set pieces, um, a few, like, I don't know if you saw the Notts County goals. Like, it, they went semi-viral and hundreds and thousands of people were saying, hundreds and thousands, not hundreds of thousands, but people were saying it was match-fixing. It went semi-viral because the goals that they conceded were unbelievable. Like, to, to have one of them was unbelievable, to have three. So, we just don't have any style of play. We literally just pimp, hoof the ball down the channels um, and hope the players can do something. And with a great respect to our players, you know, we don't have any stars in our team. So we're just, it's very, very difficult to watch. I almost, I've come to the conclusion that when I'm watching the games, it's just 
just forget about trying to see any kind of style of play or any tactics and just enjoy it. And if we win, and quite a few number, I've made that comment on Twitter on Saturday and quite a lot of people said, yeah, I've come to the same point. It's a lot more enjoyable because you're watching us and you don't really know what we're doing. So I'd love the local media to ask him that question. I don't suspect they will. But yeah, I have to just draw conclusions of myself because I have no idea why we're doing it. Um, it'd be fascinating to see. Well, we, well, obviously we play three at the back and play wing backs. And as you know, having good wing backs is really important. That's formation. And we've our wing back constantly get injured. So in defence of, of Matt Taylor, he hasn't really had his best wing backs in play, which has meant that we really struggled to kind of build team cohesion. In terms of, yeah, they're not as county goals. One of my friends sent me them who plays second division women's football in Germany and has no interest in English football below the Premier <laughs> League. But even that's how sort of widespread it got of people sending it around. Um, yeah, they weren't they weren't great. And I mean, on the whole, not knowing what your own team's doing, that makes it very hard to prepare to play against. Because if you don't know what you're doing, how on earth are we meant to prepare to play against a team? <laughs> you know, you never know what you're going to get from them on the day. Um, in terms of your key injuries, who is it that's missing that you would say Shrewsbury are missing most? And have you got any of your key players that you've got a, a time frame that isn't soul-destroyingly far away for them returning to the side where you might get a bit more confidence, I guess, in, in what the team's doing? Yeah, it's, it's a really hard one to answer because if I was to say who our key players are, they're all fit. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, like the star players, I don't know, like the Dunkleys or Danu Doe. Um, or like Carl Winchester, like players are like good level, good players at this level. They are fit. Um, probably in terms of players that I'd like to see, we signed um, a guy called Elliot Thorpe from Luton on loan as a right wing back, and we haven't seen him play at all because he's been injured. And um, we signed Fleming from Hull, who's played in Championship, who's a left wing back. That's a big miss. And then also as a lad who was at Morecambe last year and scored quite a few goals, he scored like nearly ten. Phillips is a striker. I mean, he's been injured as well. So it's almost the, um, we're missing players we haven't really seen that have quite high potential. Um, I think that's been quite frustrating because they are possibly more technical players, which would maybe allow us to play a bit more football. Um, Jordan Shipley's a player that I've always thought was, was decent and rated as a player. And it's easy playing looking at you know so lineups are sort of almost like a left wing back I've always thought he, he could play more in the centre as such and is that is that purely from a level of he, he just fits better playing as a left wing back and yeah well, I just got I that wrong but I've always yeah, thought yeah, he's I, a more of a central player yeah it's funny um, so he played wing for Coventry and he played wing back for Coventry as well and yeah for some reason I thought he was a bit more of an attacking midfielder um, but I can't name any names but I know someone I spoke talking to someone who was on the staff, let's say, in recent times. Um, and he says he's a, a player that runs up and down. That's the that's strength. And to be fair, he's really improved at left wing back and he's a real solid um, player from there. He's another player playing at Fleetwood away. We thought he'd done his ACL. Um, it wasn't as bad as that. And he's been injured as well. So you, know, you keep reading off all these injuries. It has been tough for the staff to kind of build that kind of team cohesion. And when you have so many injuries, but yeah, Shipley's a good. Like I say, Shipley's one of our better players as well, and he's fit. Probably the player actually I've just thought of a player who missed got so many. Tom Bayless, he's probably our biggest miss. Um, attacking midfielder, Preston signed for a million pound a few years ago. He's probably the most technical player that we've we're missing at the moment. 
when you come up against a side like like us, for instance, and we're going to try and you know pin you in your own half. I suppose you're not not a team that presses anyway. Looking at stats, and we're going to try and you know cause turnovers, have the pitch, and we can. We can. Yeah. That's the interesting part. We can. So we do have some tactical ability. So um, not to we did press. That's why we got those viral goals. And whether we press you or not is, will be an interesting, interesting one to look out for. Do you think you will come and press us then, Ollie? Or do you think it'll be sort of timely pressing, if that makes sense? Opportunity. I don't press. know how MK dons are you. How how not to you. How how we're likely not... are you to try and play at the back and do something daft? We okay. we'll play it out, but we're not necessarily like a. For instance, Bolton had a lot of their their passes in their own half, whilst we'll try and get the ball into your half and then and play it play it through there. It's not it's a bit more purposeful, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, I which is yeah. a bit more sensible, I think, at League One levels. I do like passing football, but at the same time, yeah, like we've we've had some comical games against MK Dons. Um, I think one season we beat them four one, and yeah, they gave us basically all the gifts again. So it's no, I think if that's, that's your with, style. Um, what happened with Northampton for us, wasn't it, a few couple of weeks ago, is they tried to do exactly that same and same as Bolton, just trying to play really pretty football in their own first third and just the amount of possession turnovers was ridiculous, yeah. I think that's the secret to success, isn't it, in this division? You look at Plymouth, look at Ipswich, even go back to Sunderland. And for me, the teams that are normally successful, the ones that have good ability, good pace, but are a bit more practical as well um, because it's such a slog, as you guys know, so many games. Um, to be perfect every game is pretty difficult. So if you're a bit more practical, I'd say we're probably not really going to press and we're just going to get into a low block quite quickly. Even though we're at home, we won't care about that. Is that, is that the idea that Matt is probably going to go with? Go in the low block to start with, see how the game progress, try and hit try and hit Pompey on the counter, probably the gaps between the centre-halves and the full-back to Odo, who's going to run down the channel. Is that basically what the game plan is? That fans Yeah, expect? I'd say so. We'll, we'll, we'll play percentage balls. And um, we've got a, a New Zealand striker international called um, Max Matter, who's not who's not too bad at holding the ball up. I think if he can if he can win a few battles against your centre half, maybe we've got a bit of an option. Um, yeah, Danado's a, a good striker. Um, I think we'll need him to be on form. So yeah, we'll definitely play counter attacking football, just like we've done um, in the last four or five games. We even did it Exeter. So if we play defensive counter attacking football against Exeter, <laughs> who were, who were on a, a hideous run of form, and we're definitely going to do it against you guys. You're sort of in that middle ground at the moment, aren't you? In in the league, you know, eleventh in the league, you've been on a fairly decent run. You know, obviously, it sounds like you're a little bit frustrated with the style of football and how not much has changed, etc. But you know, where would be a good position for you to finish this season? What's the sort of aim, really, to be in and around the playoffs? We are not an 11th place side. Um, to be 11th after well, how many games we played now? Like nearly 20 or something? You played um, 21. Yeah, 21. Um, scoring 13 goals. We haven't scored a goal that hasn't resulted in points. We're like a, I don't know, we're like a, I don't know, we're very, very selective when we play our goals. Um, we are, oh, we, as you know, like, to be successful or to have a decent season, you need to be consistently trying to score goals. Um, and we're not doing that. So I think our league position is a little bit of a outlier at the moment in terms of our performances and results. Um, so I'd expect us to drop down. Now, this is definitely a transition season. Um, we signed quite a few players in the summer, most of them are one-year one deals. We signed a lot of players um, who are like, kind of like project players from that like League of Ireland and stuff. 
I mean, you look at the squad, so many of the players' contracts expired this summer. So this is very much a transition season with the director of football bringing in a different squad, bringing the age, um, age, um, average age down from Steve Cottrell. Um, so I said in our pre-season pod, you know, 14th would be really good. Um, I think anywhere top half, bottom of the table would be fine. I mean, this, in this transition year. And also the club has said a lot of things that we overspent under Steve Cottrell. So we're actually under quite a bit of financial limitation this year to try and get the budget back into into a healthier spot. Um, so, yeah, like that's why I think Matt Taylor's not under any risk at the moment. He was before, but if we carry on picking up results, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll be fine and we'll we'll finish mid-table. I think well, one thing that's very fortunate for us and maybe fortunate for you guys is, let's be honest, it's a bit of a shit division this year. Um, and anyone probably in the bottom half of the table can still get relegated. Mm. Having said that, Reading have just gone a goal down, if that makes you feel better. So that's them probably not picking up points this evening, although that might come back to bite me. Uh, <laughs> but by the time people listen to this, they might have come back and won 3-1. Anyway, the um, the next few games Shrewsbury have got, you've got a tough couple of games in, in Pompey, obviously, at home, and then Peterborough at home. And then the four games after that, Cheltenham, Burton, Fleetwood, Lincoln, are on paper, like, to me, is not a Shrewsbury fan, but they look eminently winnable games. The Portsmouth and Peterborough games, are there parts of you that are seeing those as free hits or is there sort of a, a points target that you've got for those two games or are you just getting them out of the way, anything is a bonus, and then the four games afterwards are where you're focusing really for points? Yeah, obviously they're at home, but the fact we've got, we do have a very, very good um, home record. I think we're about sixth in the home league table. Um, so we're doing pretty well at home. We've got some good results against Derby. Played amazing against Derby. It was so strange. We played like really, really well. We could have beaten like 3 0. All their fans were going. You can imagine what their fans were doing online. It was quite funny. Um, I think if we got a point out of the next two games, that would be good. And like you say, um, hopefully get some players back. Um, and then, um, yeah, we've also got some more winnable games, Burt and Cheltenham. Uh, we stole half of Cheltenham's staff, um, so that'll be a bit of a grudge game again. And then we've got a massive, massive game um, against Wrexham, uh, which is an absolute nightmare. You mentioned earlier about the club bringing in a lot of players in the summer under the new director of football. Do you agree with what they've done by basically just bringing in a lot of young potential players and then figuring out which ones will stick and which ones won't and then refining it the next summer? Yeah, it's a really interesting one. Um, in terms of the director of football, Shrewsbury Town are only be successful if we can play in all all areas. You know, like Pompey could go out um, and just basically just do it on money. You know, it doesn't really matter about youth academy. Just literally just spend spend well. Obviously, recruitment needs to be good. Um, but for Shrewsbury Town to be successful, we need to bring players through our youth system. I'll be signed a young midfielder to Newcastle. Hopefully, we can keep a few of them. They actually get in the first team, and we have to explore all avenues. So, you know getting some gems or some players that have you know, maybe not made it so far and get them like a Shipley and get, you know, get a, a good league one players. But then, yeah, we need to get some, some gambles um, and then also try and develop our youth team. So I think the director of football is a shrewd way to go. Um, proof will be in the pudding. Um, but I heard, I was at a club meeting a few weeks ago, 18 clubs in league one now have a director of football or maybe not necessarily with that title, but it's definitely um, the direction the clubs are going. And I think that's the only way we can compete. We need to be, get a bit lucky, but also yeah, be successful in all areas of recruitment. All right, let's get down to the nitty gritty, Ollie. Let's get to the game and say, 
I want to know a score prediction for the game, please, on Saturday and any goal scorers. Cool. So I'm going to go for a one-all draw, Shea Dunkley scoring a header um, in the 96th minute to really piss you off. I like your style, although I don't like, don't like the outcome, but I do like your style. <laughs> Ollie, um, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Can you let people know where they can find the Salop cast if they have not been listening for many years when you've been, you guys have been going on each other's pods? Cheers. Yeah. So yeah, you can find us on, on Twitter. I will still continue to call it Twitter forever and a day. Um, and um, yeah, on all the normal places, yeah, on Spotify, iTunes, everywhere. So yeah, thanks guys for having me on. And um, yeah, not good luck on Saturday, but yeah, you guys probably deserve a bit of luck. So yeah, good luck the rest of the season. Thanks, Ollie. Uh, yes, it's nice to have a bit of luck. So let's hope it continues. Cheers, mate. Lush. Thanks, Ollie, for coming on the podcast. It seems that Shrewsbury, although they're trying to go through this cultural change and get younger players in, the new director of football and how they're going to move forward, but it seems that not very much has really changed from a tactical outlet and quite a lack of goals. And even though they're doing you know, pretty all right in the league, it seems like a bit of a false position, doesn't it, Freddie? Yeah, that was mentioned in the interview, wasn't it? They seem like a solid defensive side who can cause problems for teams that overplay themselves and are able to utilize the counter-attack very well. But my God, like, like, like it was said earlier, they, they can't score goals. They're just inept at going forward. And I think that's just going to be Pompey's key. They're just going to be able to control the game. And if they go ahead one nil up early, then the Blues should be fine. There's not a lot of players in the Shrewsbury lineup that worry me. I like Carl Winchester if he plays. He's a very good ball-winning midfielder. I like Jordan Shipley with his ability to get up and down. I rate Shade Junkley and Aaron Pierre as individual centre-halves if they play. But aside from that, uh, there's not much else there. I don't see how they're going to be a threat to Pompey very much unless it's an individual error dealing with a long diagonal ball, which we've seen happen on a few occasions. So no, I'm I'm confident for this game. Andy, I think the only way I can see this not going great is somehow Shrewsbury get an early goal and then sit into that low block and it just doesn't quite go our way, I suppose. That's the kind of situation I could see where, you know, the only real situation I'd be particularly concerned about. Yeah, I mean, speaking to Ollie there, what came into my head was, you know, the, the Mr Burns from the Simpsons gift that's like, don't forget you're here forever with that sign. That's that's the vibe I got from him about Shrewsbury in League One. There just doesn't seem to be any real optimism that they are ever going to progress or in the near future are going to progress up the leagues. And in terms of the game, I mean, there's some lovely sound bites there we can bring in if we end up losing like 3-0 or something away from home at the weekend from U2. But um, yeah, I mean, in terms of their goal scoring, I mean, Cheltenham have got pelters for... That well, they didn't score for their first eight games of the season or something. Shrewsbury have only scored two more goals than them now this season. And, you know, they've scored half as many goals, if not less, than a lot of the teams at the top of the table or near, well, not even the top of the table, teams from 10th upwards. Every single team above Shrewsbury, just looking at the table, every team above Shrewsbury in the table has scored at least twice as many goals as them. They're just not finding the net, uh, which... <laughs> It's not not ideal for them, obviously, especially when you know they're con- they've also conceded more goals than every team above them. How are they eleventh? With those two statistics both being true, how are they eleventh in the table? I don't understand. 
But it's one of those teams that you look at their results every week and you think, ah, oh, Shrewsbury have dropped points again. But they're 11th. I don't really understand. I don't get it. They've also just ground out when they've, when they've yeah. actually scored goals. They actually have managed to protect the lead, I think, and actually turn those into points. So that's where my concern comes, that if they manage to get a lead and you know battle it out, that when they then concede early and lose by a few more goals, then it sort of balances itself out to quite a negative goal difference. But mm. yeah, it's going to be an interesting game. We're all up for it. We're excited. So let's get to the end of this podcast, I think, now. We had a good conversation there with Ollie and uh, Andy Mitchell. I want to know your score prediction, please, for the game against Shrewsbury and any goal scorers. Yeah, well, it'll be nice to see Matty Taylor again, obviously. I think in terms of the end result, um, there, there's, I keep saying there's no reason not to back a Pompey win. The, the side have given me no reason to be like, oh, I'm not feeling great about this one because apparently that's what I sound like. So I've got to go with a Pompey win. So we'll go with a... We'll go with a 2-0 Pompey win in that I do think we'll score in the first half. Shrewsbury will look to keep it compact for most of the game and look to sneak something from a set piece. They're going to be forced to open up by that a bit more and towards the end of the second half and we'll get a second goal as the game opens up a bit. Uh, in terms of goal scorers, it's hard to sound original doing this anymore, isn't it? We'll go one for Kamara. I think he's due again and he has looked good the last few games for me. I think he'll get rewarded with a goal. One for Kamara and one for Lane. So I don't think Yang will score, but I think he's going to get at least one assist. Uh, how about you, Freddie? What are we thinking? Just going to say quickly on that, we have to see how Kamara is, obviously. He's got to take oh, crap, he got injured, didn't he? Mm-hmm. he oh, yeah, I I take that back. I've completely forgot that happened. I, I haven't seen the updates as of yet on the app. No, but he looked really upset. Like, he looked like... I'm pretty sure he rolled his ankle... Uh, but yeah. apparently they're not sure how bad it is. So, yeah, I just thought I'd put that out there if you want to change your goal score. That is such a good point. That's negligent of me to have forgotten that. Yeah, he looked so upset when he went over on it. Um, well, in which case, it's unlikely he's going to score if he doesn't play. I think that's a that's a fair comment to make and a fair criticism of my prediction. Uh, so we'll go with Lane instead. Everything else stays the same. So Lane in Lane. Oh, sh- stop it. You're ruining my... I win one guess the You're XG. You're doing very well. Like, oh, I've got to make Andy look stupid in his predictions. Uh, okay, so we'll go lane with one. And you know what? Yangi will score. Just to spite you. Fine, forget it. Yangi won't score. He will score. What a turnaround. My- what a fickle prediction from Andy Mitchell there. Oh, you know me. If you had one word to describe me, I know you'd go with fickle. You know what I'm like? Turning on the team every time I can. That's we go. Freddie <laughs> Webb. Have you got a confident prediction or are you going to name players that are currently out injured and try and make them your goal scorers? Uh, I have got a confident prediction. I've had a look at Shrewsbury's XG compared to goals. Obviously, the 13 goals, they've averaged their total XG is 22.06, which is one of the worst differentials in the league. But still, I'm I'm not worried. I'm going to go with a 3-0 Pompey win and a cassini Yengi hat-trick because it's going to happen. It, it just is. Brilliant player. He's going to carry on from the Bolton game. This is normally the bit where I'd ask you, oh, Hugh, what do you think about your predictions? But I'm just fuming. So trying to make me look silly on a podcast. It doesn't take much. I can do it for myself without your own without your help. I was Hugh, trying to help you, you out. I was trying to help Hugh, you what out. What do you think is going to happen in the game? 
Well, you guys have taken 2 0 and 3 0, and we don't like to, to choose the same prediction. Oh, you can't take 4 0 because that's Tom's got that covered. So you've got to go 1 or 5, haven't you, really? Or we'll concede. I don't see the Shrewsbury scorings. This is quite a difficult one to go five with. It is. 5 0. No. Not going 5 0. I'll, I'll play the conservative one. I'll say 1 0 Pompey, and I'll go with a goal from Sean Raggett. On his head from a Jack Sparks corner to get a goal and then if the game fizzles out. There we go. One nil Pompey, Sean Racket. And just a shout out quickly to thank everyone who so far has donated towards the Pompey News Now Food Bank Appeal. We've done it every year so far. We know times are tough for everyone out there, but times are tougher for some people as well. So we so far we've raised two hundred and twenty pounds of our five hundred pound target. So if you have any money, a pound, two pounds, any spare change, and you want to help out, then please donate uh, towards the Pompey Food Bank. And the link is in the Pompey News Now Twitter. We'll retweet it again, or just hit me a message at PO Forecast, and I'll sort you out the link. Anything would be appreciated. Let's do a, the Pompey family a favour and help people out at this time of year who are in need. Right, Andy Mitchmore, thanks for on the podcast. Always a pleasure. Yeah, lovely to chat. And uh, it's just endless positivity. What what are we going to do with this? There's only so much we can say. I need a I need a moan. I need to complain. I need some. I mean, I suppose I've got a job. That's a good opportunity to go and complain. I'll go and do that there instead. Let's keep winning, and then I'll just keep my negativity in my personal life. Uh, no, professional life. Wrong way around. Freudian slip. My bad. Thanks, I'll you. I'll, I'll email your boss something to tell him how great you are and. Or how good you're on a night out and you can have a moan about that but I mean this goes out in the public domain every week if they wanted to get you know, get some disciplinary stuff going on it wouldn't take much research would it same just for all the, three of us yeah just put the unedited version out but um, <laughs> you I've, I've, I've worked out I've not lost my job which is good because I have my appraisal today so uh, nice for you well yeah, that's, that's great as well um, Freddie Webb <laughs> thanks for the podcast mate oh, I loved it this week thank you guys and uh yeah, fingers crossed Pompey can continue their winning ways and uh, we'll finally see the championship after years of doing this show and supporting this team. That would be amazing. And yeah, all that from the malarkey. Rate is five stars on Spotify. Andy's creasing. I'm not even sure why. but I just thought of a really offensive joke and I'm not even going to try with it. Until next time, play up Pompey. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast at Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle!